Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer, coming to you from a snow flurrying cat swamp road over here in Warren County, New Jersey. And I have a full complement of family, four legged with tails, family members in my office with me. So, right now, everyone is sleeping, which is quite good, but that can change by the moment, just like life can change. And, uh, let me see where we are. All right. We're going to just roll with it and see what happens. They may want to jump in and uh, do the podcast themselves. I don't blame them. All right. So they want to have their own show. I don't know what they're going to call it, but I'm sure it will be a success. They have all the cats in the area listening to it. But I want to thank you again for listening and for joining me. And hopefully, God willing, everything is going well with you as January is starting to fly by and uh, starting to fly by. So that is uh, amazing how time just moves so quickly, right? It always moves quickly when you don't want it to, and it moves so slowly like a glacier when you want it to move quickly. But isn't that the essence of life? Mm, Let me see what I want to tell you. A couple of things uh, I'm going to ask you. I know some of you listen to the radio show on Sirius XM, Farm Machinery Digest Radio, and I'm greatly appreciative of that. And on the, I think it was the, uh, let me look at the calendar. It should have been the January 6th, 6th show, the first Saturday in January, and then would have a re-air on the 7th. And let me just explain something to you so you understand, otherwise it's not going to make any sense, is that uh, Rural Radio Sirius XM Channel 147 Ascends, well, she they put it up on some kind of site, and then my uh, art director Susan Moore pulls it down, and then she posts it the following week as a podcast. And that was the deal I've shared this with you before. It's the deal I made with Sirius that they didn't want my show to, they didn't want me to compete with myself on the radio, which I certainly understand and respect it. So they didn't want it to air the same day. So one week after it airs on the radio. It airs as a podcast, and then it's there for eternity. But from what I could glean is that the the episode, that episode that they put up every week for Susan to uh, download is always the Sunday version. So my content is obviously the same, but the commercials may be different. So you may have a sponsor that comes on and says, well, I don't want to do this Saturday. I don't want to do Saturday and Sunday. Or somebody else comes on or whatever like that. So it seems that they have to reformat that twice. So that show is 1,440 seconds. It has to come in plus or minus two seconds. And so I'm like a drag race. I have to go hit the number, run the dial in 1,440. And that week's show did come right in on the money at 1,440. Usually I send it to them around 1,441 seconds because by the time I press the, uh, the the stop record button, a second is over. So, But that one came right in on the money, 1,440. But what had happened was that I did not get a chance to listen to it that Saturday. And the reason why I listened to it uh, is not because I want to hear myself on the radio or listen to my podcast. I listened to it to, to quality control and critique myself because, as you know, I don't use a script or anything. So if I messed something up, then I could say, oh, you know, I said that last week, but I really meant to say this or what have you. And then I could also, on the radio show, I could uh, be cognizant of the, uh, I use them as uh, 
I call them sponsors instead of advertisers and of the sponsors and listen to what they have to say. And then what it, I just think it's very smart. I don't want to say smart. I think it's prudent for me to listen to the radio show. So I know what's happening with the sponsors. I know what's happening with the network and I know what's happening with my show because if I don't listen to my show, I can never make it better. Right? Not that I know how to make it better, but whatever. So that weekend, I did not listen to the show because a friend of mine came up from Long Island and uh, we had lunch and uh, I didn't listen, which is no big deal. And something happened on Sunday where I didn't listen to it, so whatever. So I missed the whole weekend, like I said, which is no big deal, all right? So what happened was that the following, this past Saturday, when it posted as a podcast, I said, well, let me listen to it. Let me see you know, what the sponsors are up to, and let me let me just, whatever, do whatever I just, I explain for five minutes why I do it. And then to make a long story short, and uh, serious messed up. So uh, the one weekend I didn't listen to it, which is probably good because it would ruin my whole weekend because I'm very anal about that, and uh, they messed up. So the question, my question to you, if you, if you, if you happen to listen to it or if you, and the, the topic of the show, I don't expect you to remember the date, was radiator bypass circuits. So on the Sunday version, which is the one they sent to Susan to post, they dropped out the first segment, and they started with the second segment, and then what they did is partially through the second segment, they started to add commercials to it, all right, so I'm talking, so it's basically all messed up. Uh, so I don't know. I put an email into them and asked them whether I don't believe I messed up, but I could be. But I, I checked everything over. I double check and triple check like it's a nuclear bomb, but doesn't mean you can't mess up. And uh, but so I don't know what happened with that. So if you have the inclination and you did listen on Saturday, not Sunday, because I'm assuming the Sunday one was messed up because that's what they sent me that just uh, send me an email, please, at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. Or if you have my cell phone number, you could text me and say, yeah, it was messed up Saturday or it was fine. So whatever, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, it is. You can't do anything about it. The bullet, the bullet left the barrel of the gun. So I, they are excellent. Rural Radio is excellent about getting getting back to me and, and it's really fantastic. But uh, I contact the sound engineer probably wasn't working yesterday sat well i shouldn't say yes excuse i'm recording this on sunday uh is that when i reached out then but i know that he will but i would just like to know whether that is the case or not so that basically is that and let me see what else i want to tell you oh oh i forgot already uh, oh uh I told you the guys that I'm going to be, well, when this show airs, in theory, I'm supposed to be at the PTI training class uh, for precision planting in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But uh, due to some conflicts, I'm not going to be able to go. I wasn't able to go. And then I was going to go the next day on a Thursday, which, which would be tomorrow, if you're listening to this, on Wednesday the 18th. And uh, the weather is supposed to be very cold here. I mean, not terribly cold, but in the teens, low teens, you know, 10 degrees at night in low teens. And uh, and then it's not supposed to warm up much during the day. So the reason why you say, well, what kind of farm are you? You're afraid? And I'm not afraid of cold. But we do have my one hen left, Tatiana. Uh, 
So I would say sadly, but I'm grateful, if that makes any sense. I mean, sadly, that I'm grateful, thank God, that she's doing well, but sad that she is by herself. And uh, my wife would not be able to take proper care of her and going to, when she goes to school, uh, leaves for work for a day. And, and the way we have the pen set up, I have bungee cords holding the door closed. So what the, just the dynamics are, Charlotte would try like a trooper, but she's not going to be able to, Tatiana needs a lot of care. And she's not, she needs a lot of care, not because she's sick, because of her age. She's about 10 or 11 years old. And uh, she's, Charlotte will not be able to execute it with 10 degree weather because she's probably not going to be able to get into the pen and we're supposed to get some snow and ice. So I could not go and leave Tatiana like that, knowing that uh, she is in the, in, not in a good place with that. So, God willing, uh, I trust in the Lord. My favorite Bible verse is Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean that on your own understanding. Uh, I'm very upset. I shouldn't say I'm upset. I'm disappointed. I was really looking forward to that class. But the Lord will provide, and he will give me that the opportunity one particular day to take that same class. I'm, and if it, then if he doesn't provide that opportunity, then it wasn't meant to be. And it is what it is. So, <laughs> so uh, that is that. And uh, my friend Jason, his wife says that, and then he says, hers me say it. So, Jason, it is what it is if you are listening. Alrighty. And, uh, but I could not leave her. I mean, if the weather was better and, uh, and Charlotte could get near and do stuff for her, but where she is, I, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not going to waste your time explaining. I mean, Tatiana is fine. Where she is is wonderful. It's got a heated, 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 a heated bed for her and everything, but Charlotte would not be able to deal with, to, to deal with it if it's near, you know, single digits in the morning before she goes to work. So if it was something where, it was a little bit warmer, maybe in the 20s or 30s, then, then Tatiana would be fine. But I would not, I would not be doing, uh, I would be dishonoring God, God uh, giving me her to take care of if I did that. So that's what you got to do, right? You do what you got to, you do what you got to do. It is what it is. And let me see what else I want to tell you. Uh, there's something else, no big deal. Uh, I don't think any, anything of consequence, uh, Oh, I w- it's cold here today. I mean, it's not cold like in Montana, 40 below zero. <clears throat> but I wasn't going to, I usually, my office, as you know, is in the basement of our house, which is not even an office. It's the whole basement is unfinished, so it's all open. And uh, the boiler is here, and I always shut the boiler off when I record the show. But lots of times I forget to turn it back on. But when it's cold and the temperature drops in the house, I usually use my trigger. But I was I was going to leave it on. And I said, okay, so the house doesn't lose its heat. And it's very, very well insulated. But you'd be surprised in an hour and a half how it starts to give up some 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 heat. Uh, so I, I, at the last minute, I decided to shut it off. But moving forward, if I ever leave the boiler on, I'm going to tell you. So you say, what is that noise? And you'll hear my economizer running. You'll say, what's an economizer? Well, and, and I love old magazines. And I'm not going to make this. I'll try, I'll try not to make it a half-hour story, maybe a 29-minute story. So I was gifted 
a bunch of a few couple of old popular mechanics by my my friend and listener gene worst out in nevada and a few this was 10 15 years ago all right and, uh i think it was 1954 popular mechanics and mechanics illustrated uh, excellent i mean unbelievable they're so wonderful so anyway they had in there an economizer and for for a heating system for we have a boiler so a boiler as you know is hot water if you have a furnace it's hot air regardless of what it's fueled it could be fueled by gas or by propane or from heating oil ours is a hot water boiler ours is a boiler fueled by heating oil so what they had in this old magazine from 1954 was what they called an economizer and what it did is it it took the heat from the exhaust on the heating, the boiler or the furnace, whatever it was, and it would go in the flue pipe, it was quite large, and it had electric fan with a thermostat. This is 1954, okay? <laughs> so, and um, and uh, the, it would have a thermostat on it and, when it, and when the exhaust of the heating system reached a certain temperature, the fan would kick on and it had a heat exchanger in it. So you weren't blowing the exhaust from the heating system into the building. It was like a radiator, so you were heating like a heater core. So it was going through these tubes, <clears throat> and then at a certain temperature, it would kick the fan on and would blow that heat so you'd be using the waste heat into the whatever room that the heating system was in the boiler or furnace was in if that makes sense and then if it had a hysteresis or if it dropped down and you pulled too much heat out then it would go and it would shut off from its cycle so i said this is so this i'm talking about 10 or 15 10 or 12 years ago but this is from 1954 and uh I uh, suppose it's fantastic because I could, you know, if I could find a modern day version of this, then I could, you know, put it at my friend Tony come, my boiler guy, my mechanical contract. He's a good guy. I, I've been meaning to do an on the road podcast with him and life just seems to get in the way. But anyway, so, uh, and we could put that in, you know, whatever. I mean, it wasn't, so I said, if I could find one, I could, you know, we could do something with it. So, Lo and behold, like I said, I'm turning the clock back 10 or 15 years ago, I find a modern-day version of it. They don't call it an economizer anymore. They call it something else. And uh, I don't know what the, I forgot what they call it. And made in USA, made in Iowa. It wasn't expensive. I, I, I don't honestly remember what it was, probably under $200. All right, and uh, if even that much. Maybe it was, who knows. All right, and... Uh, so I get this thing years ago. And I said, Tony, we got to put this thing in. So he's cool because he's a hot rodder. He doesn't drag racing anymore. He's a road racer, but still a hot rodder. So hot rodders, we like this stuff, whether it's a boiler or whether it's a well pump or whether it's a car or whether it's a washing machine. We got we like to hot rod it, right? And I know a lot of you in the audience are that way. So we put this thing in 15 years ago, and uh, it, it's unbelievable. I think it doesn't turn on until the flu temperature is 120 degrees and then uh i think it has a hysteresis maybe of uh uh guts down to 110 degrees maybe a 10 degree hysteresis and shuts off all right so base so the reason why i'm telling you this is that it's a fan and uh has this heating this heat exchanger in there so that's one of the reasons why i shut off the boiler so you don't hear the boiler but the economizer runs so hopefully maybe next week i shouldn't say hopefully next week i'll leave it leave the boiler on and maybe you could hear the boiler runs sweet it's a wild mclean gold series with a uh, beckett gun 
and a 0.70, I think, hollow point nozzle on it. And I've discussed this before. Thing is sweet. 100 pounds. I mean, it, it just, just beautiful. Doesn't miss a beat. But this economizer, all right, dropped my. And this basement is pretty. I, I, I mean, it's not a. It's pretty large for a basement, I guess. Well, it's fifth. The, the, the house is fifth. The house is 30 feet by 50 feet. All right, so it's a center hall colonial. So if you were to consider the basement, then it's 4,500 square feet. So without the basement, it's 3,000 square feet without the breezeway in the garage. Was that not living space? And the breezeway is about 10 feet by 15 feet. So, uh, so anyway, so the basement is 30 feet by 50 feet. And <clears throat> do you know that when I put that economizer, well, Tony and I put the economizer in, all right, it low it raised my temperature my basement is two two and a half degrees warmer i had warmer because of me capturing that waste heat going up the chimney now my boiler is very efficient uh it's not well it's old now because the house we built in 96 so it's a 96 but i think it's like 93 or 94 percent efficient which I think is a bogus number anyway, but uh, all these, it's like volumetric efficiency on an engine. That's not as bogus, but it's just a metric you rate things by. So on a newer boiler or furnace like this is that there is not a lot of waste heat. Years ago, like in the farmhouse, we have a, we still have it. In my parents' farmhouse, we have a um, 1954 American Standard. Oh my God, that thing, you don't even hear it run. But the older designs put more heat out through the chimney, through the through the flue pipe. A lot more heat went out through the flue pipe, whereas these modern, more modern, high-efficient high ones have less heat through the flue pipe. So now this can, they also have a wood stove, pellet stove, corn stove version of this. I don't know what's different about it. But there is something different about it. So if you are running a, uh, oh, it's called magic heat. That's what mine is called, magic heat. So if you're running a wood stove in your house or a pellet stove or a corn stove, you could look into this. It's, it's very nice looking. It's black. It's, um, it's nicely made. All it needs is 110 volts to run the fan. And uh, uh, and uh, all because when you have a wood stove or something like that, then you have a ton of heat going out. The, the chimney out the flue pipe all right so it's very 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 efficient with that and it's very efficient with this so that is my economizer and as an aside that in case you go on the automotive version of jeopardy that years ago when the power valves and metering rods came out in the carburetors to enrich just to enrich the mixture at part throttle of the light load uh they call those economizers so if you look at an old carburetor kit and someone says economize or if it was let's say like a holly style style where they gave you a power valve it would be called the economizer valve and you say well it's making the mixture richer how is it economizing right well on a carburetor the economizer valve is called an economizer because prior to the invention or i should say the development of a of a of an enrichment circuit there all right the power enrichment circuit they call it they would have to have the carburetor set very rich so that it would be very rich at idle and at light load so that you would have enough fuel there 
uh, when you were under heavier load. So uh, that is why they called it an economizer valve because the econom the power valve or metering rods allowed the mixture to be leaned out and gave the additional fuel when required. And that's why you look at a lot of older gasoline farm tractor carburetors. They had they had two mixture adjustments. They had the idle mixture and they had a power valve adjustment. So you'd adjust the power and they usually had like a T handle underneath the carburetor. All right, so that you could adjust the power enrichment. They didn't call it I guess they the term that they used. I'm getting I'm getting old and these terms are getting garbled in my mind but uh and uh so you could adjust it under load to get the air fuel ratio right under load so economizer in a carburetor meant that they could make the idle very lean at the part throttle very lean the cruise very lean and then when you went to go climb a hill or you or whatever and you had to give it some more throttle that it would add more fuel to make more power so this is so that's what they called an economizer back years ago for a heating system so mine is called a magic heat i don't know if they're still in business but if you have something like that it is well worth the investment if you have the ability to install it uh it's not hard to install but you need to be able to fit it between the ducts and the, the exhaust of your heating system so that is that maybe next week i'll leave on you could hear my economizer run. it's not just a fan so it's just uh just a fan that runs doesn't make any noise in that but with this rode microphone that picks up everything <clears throat> so what i'm going to do is just get a drink of water here everybody's sleeping nicely all right <clears throat> thank you and uh excuse me so what i'm going to do today what the show is about today not too bad for me 22 minutes in uh what the show is going what i'm going to cover today is i'm going to do some letters again that were sent to me from hemmings muscle machines my column ask right there and as i've i've done this before and from what i could glean is that it's been well received by you the audience obviously it probably wasn't well received by everyone but you know like i say is that it's very hard for me to glean from an audience whether they like something or don't like something and uh just because i like it or what have you and it's usually not a matter of what i like it's what i that i feel is going to give you value and that's what this show is all about to give it have an have an exchange of knowledge all right to have uh so an intellectual exchange and a transfer of knowledge so what i so i always felt that some of these letters have intrinsic value but obviously because it comes to a hot well muscle car magazine the guy's not gonna say well i got a uh, i got a john deere 4440 in him i'm gonna ask you i want to ask you a question but no so what you have to basically do and i always put this caveat on it whenever i do this you have to take this as boilerplate all right, whatever I'm discussing, what is going to be boilerplate and the letters that I choose, a few, I think I have three or four of them here. Maybe I'll just do three because I usually get along with it. The letters that I choose will have enough boilerplate in it that you could take it and transfer it to almost anything else and forget about that. It's a 67 Buick, all right? That makes no difference. Whereas if they were application specific letters, I'd say, well, you know, how is the, you know, how do you do this on a, whatever 69 dodge coronet then i would say that that is going to be too application specific uh even though 
honestly, back then, those older cars, there was not any much difference from those older engines and cars and trucks than there was to an irrigation engine or a lawnmower or, a, or whatever, made in a farm tractor, all right? Very, very minor differences in them, if anything whatsoever. But these are true boilerplate, what I'm going to be reading you. And the thing is that <clears throat> the other caveat I'm attaching to it, you're going to say, because I will, as I read the letters verbatim, I'll try to edit them as they go along because some of them are written respectfully. I think these are pretty good. Uh, like a kindergartner wrote it. But anyway, uh, is that the way that magazine works, I've done that column for more years than I care to admit, that I do, the, they, people send me, the, they don't send me the letters. They send the letters to the publisher. The publisher forwards them to me. So this way, unless I interact directly with the listener i they don't know my contact information even though i give it out on the podcast and the radio but whatever but it's a different email address that i use for that than i do for this show so that's fine and um so they forward them to me and then i choose what letters i'm going to answer because in the magazine is only limited space but the point that i'm getting to is that i do these and i answer them for hemming's muscle machines in a in a group in a block so i only really do them four four times of year now so i'll collect them or get a bunch of them and i'll answer them and i'll send them four or three issues so four times a year uh and then they'll take them so and i don't know when they're gonna run so just because i sent something to them last week does it may not run for six or eight nine months or it may run in the next issue so who knows i am not privy to that uh, why am i not privy to that because i am not on the production side of the magazine and what they need to do is the magazine business today everything has to fit and uh so they have so much space to run it so if this letter happens to be longer and they say okay this letter and, and they go by character count character with spaces anybody who uses microsoft word will notice word count character count and character there's character count with spaces and without spaces so what they have done is because the magazine like everything is being cut back that they only give me one page and it's about eight thousand characters so with spaces and if they so between the radio show i'm going 1440 seconds i'm I'm, everything i'm doing is like building a ship in a bottle so uh but then they'll say well okay we're gonna put you know joe schmo's letter in here this month and and this one but this guy's letter went longer so they have to try to finagle in the character count and what have you all right sometimes they have a little bit extra room i'll go to page and a quarter but it makes it very difficult years ago when i started in the magazine business is that you spoke to an editor and they if you were not doing what they call fluff in other words it wasn't garbage you were just writing words babbling blah, 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 about you know, about something to get space to make space because they would pay you by when i my whole writing career i was paid not by the word i was paid by the page but you knew how many words are on a page so if i was to get a story let's say in hot rod magazine i'd speak to the editor at the time was Roma mcgonagall well how much space do you have so he says well i could get you know i could give you at least four maybe five pages today nobody wants to give you five pages <laughs> nobody wants to give you anything even in a when i did work for successful farming one page one page one page so it was form 
They didn't care about learning or anything. No one cares. It's just, you say, oh, we got to fit in here. Cutbacks. Everything is cut back, right? And uh, when I started my writing career years ago, it was wonderful because the editor would say to me, well, what do you need to do this? I said, well, I could do a, I could do a decent job at four pages. If you gave me four and a half or five, I could do a great job. I said, okay, go five. You know, and they knew that they used to call me no fluff rate because it was all meat and potatoes. So that's what they do. They finagle that. And because of that, the letters that I'm, the point that I wanted to tell you is that the letters that I'm reading to you today, <clears throat> the people are referencing something that I, they're, fr- they're fresh. I mean, they're current letters that the people wrote to me, I think just the past two weeks. But these will not potentially go in a magazine for six to nine months, even if they get in. All right, just because I answered them doesn't mean that they get in. But they're referencing letters that I answered that was in the magazine, my column, Ask Gray. They're referencing those that were in, in maybe the current issue and issue before. So I do not have any recollection. I have a vague recollection of those of those letters and the response that I and that I that I wrote. But it may be a year ago. So this is where the conflict is. It's just like if when you work for a car manufacturer and you're on the engineering side, so to us, it's, well, that's the new, that's the new Mustang, that's the dark horse. Well, to the engineers who worked on it, they worked on that five years ago. That's not the new Mustang, all right? Or, so that's not the new Cadillac, or that's not the new engine because they worked on that five years ago. So it's three to five years before it comes out to the public. So to the public, it's new, but to them, well, no, that's, so so you reference something, and, you, and, and the guy looks, he says, what are you talking about? That was like six years ago. Well, yeah, it's a new one. Well, no, that's not what we're working we don't call that new so because of that i don't have a hundred percent recollection of what uh the question was i have a basic idea so that is why i may sound a little bit um i don't want to say confused but uh, the person who's writing the letter to me has much greater recollection because they have it right in front of them because it's in whatever that issue that they're referencing right whereas i may have done that a year ago so if that hopefully that makes sense so without any further ado we're halfway into the show here wasting time you know i hate to waste time but i waste your time excuse me and i apologize for that so what i want you to do without any well i said without any further ado is that uh you know these letters were written to me and but my response is going to be to you my listeners and also to the person who wrote it because i will email all these people and tell them i i uh, i i uh, answered it on my podcast a lot of them may not even know i have a podcast who knows all right so so the letters are written to me but my response is to you you the audience here of idle chatter and why that's important just like when you when you look at the scriptures the bible the old testament and new testament the the bible was written to the people living in that time but the response is for us today 2024 all right so so that's what i am doing here and i learned that that aspect of it from dr charles stanley uh in touch ministries fantastic just he sadly passed away he's probably the i mean charlotte and i just love listening to him every week and it's um sometimes i a couple of times a week if i'm traveling in the car because he is on sirius xm all right 
So now that you understand all this, maybe I made it as clear as mud. Okay, so the first letter we have here. Okay, <clears throat> if I don't, let's say, oh, I won't mess up this guy's name because that's really easy. This is from Mr. Stephen Walter, and he happens to be in Hanover, Pennsylvania. And he writes to me, hi, now I'm reading these calls, so if, if something doesn't make 100% sense, please forgive the person and forgive me. Hi, Ray, my son has a 1964 Cadillac Fleetwood with a 429 engine, and I'm adding that's a nice car. It has 44,000 original miles and has been well-maintained. <clears throat> Recently, the engine began to make a noise like lifters tapping, but it shortly went away after a mile or so. The oil was changed, castor oil 2050, and the engine was fine for 50 miles, then the noise returned. He installed new lifters. The old ones looked okay, not cupped. Kept the old... Uh, kept and and he excuse me uh because he had it in brackets he installed new lifters and kept the old cam the new lifters were oil filled and the oil pump was used to prime the system the engine was started and quiet for about 30 minutes but the noise returned louder like a berry knock it has even it has even compression in all cylinders 162 pounds and the oil pressure uh oil pressure 33 pounds and it doesn't use any oil the engine was run with all the belts removed to isolate where the noise is pulling the oil pan off to to look at the rod bearings will require lifting the engine up do you have any suggestions who's making noise here some cat is making noise uh do you have any suggestions how to proceed engine always ran well with such low miles and well maintained we can't drive it for fear of more damage no one here works in old cars in the 1733 area whatever that is and i am trying to help him with my old man knowledge we thank you for any help that you could give us all righty well mr walter <clears throat> first of all i want to officially thank you for reading my ramblings in hemming's muscle muscle machines and for reaching out to me second thing i'd like to say that sounds like a beautiful car and it only has 44,000 miles the third thing that i would like to say if i'm keeping count properly is that i have to commend your procedure because you did everything right all right so the thing is that uh you did everything right and uh and you checked everything you didn't you did oil pressure fuel a fuel pressure compression every everything that's going on here so that is wonderful what i would suggest that for you to do is number one so you said to yourself that you said and you said to yourself excuse me i'm trying to read you trying to think here the oil was changed to castor oil 2050 and was fine for about 50 miles then the noise returned well there's a couple of things that i would say going on here you haven't driven the car much since you've changed the oil and now it has a different type of tap is that i would put something like a 1040 oil in it i would not use a 2050 oil in that engine all right you may say to yourself well, i used that 2050 oil for many years all right you that may very well have been the case but that has a pretty high viscosity and then you know you said you drove the in the drove the car for about 50 miles and the tap returned well <clears throat> you have to realize not that you don't 
that probably at that particular point the oil temperature started to get get hotter and uh the viscosity changed and what have you so now it should be a 50 weight when it's when it's hot because a 20 w means it's a 20 weight when it's cold uh and it's a 50 weight when the oil gets to be a certain temperature what i think may be happening here is that you have varnished up oil galleries through that engine and maybe possibly it's starving the lifters and the cam for oil all right uh why did it get louder with the new lifters i have no idea i'm only guessing uh even though the lifters are new they're there's nothing that you're going to buy today on this goes like i said you know, apply this to a farm tractor apply this to an irrigation engine apply this to anything if this is boilerplate what i'm telling you know mr walter with his 64 cadillac so nothing you're going to buy today even though it fits is made exactly the same as it was in 1964 and i'm not saying good bad or indifferent but it's not the same right especially with valve lifters all right the orifice may be different the spring may be different the uh uh in, inside different tension the uh the bleed down rate may be different so it, it it it's just not what it it is what it is okay jason if you're listening and uh but that's that's what doreen tells him so uh it is what it is it doesn't mean it's bad it doesn't mean it's good but it's different and also keep in mind that the oil even though 20 w50 oil today is not the same as 20 w50 oil was in 1964 1974 1984 or 1994 or even 2004 so you're putting a modern oil and you have to remember that the viscosity is just two points in that and without a visometric index chart and the chemical everything is different all right so this is what i would do excuse me i would put a t- i would change the oil in the filter and i would put a 1040 oil in it all right then i would run the engine and see what is you say you said it has 33 pounds of oil pressure but you did not identify at what rpm that is is that it idles that at higher speeds and then you're saying that it sounds like a um it's starting to sound more like a, a knock like an like a, a berry knock and hopefully god willing it is not that but i would definitely change that oil put a thinner oil in it i'm repeating it 50 times and then at this particular point you're gonna if you you only have 50 miles on the oil that's in there now so you see what i want you to do is i want you to pull an oil sample and send it to a lab because the oil sample sending it to the lab is going to tell you whether the bearings are starting to to, to come apart inside the engine and then and then you'll say well yeah that is legitimately a knock a rod knock or something i'm hearing but it's the the problem here is that you'd have to have a lot of degradation inside that engine with 50 miles or if it's a farm tractor five hours worth of running two hours worth of running to really get anything of consequence on an oil analysis but 
given the fact that an oil analysis costs about $35, and you could do that uh, by draining some oil out of, the, well, what you could do is do drain the oil, all right, and then take the sample that way. You could use as many different labs. Blackstone is a good lab. You, they'll send you a container to use. You'd want to use their container if possible because you want to have it clean. You don't have any foreign material in there, but if it's bearing material, it makes no difference if you put it in a coffee can that they're going to be able to pick it up. But you might as well do the test and do it accurately. And so you could drain that oil out, follow their procedures, send it to the lab, put the 1040 oil in and start it up and run it, see what happens, see what happens, and then... Uh, wait for the analysis you don't have to go to california with the car wait for the analysis see if the noise is better and then we could go from there and then you could reassess what is happening if the lab comes back and says we don't see any 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 foreign material in there any bearing material or anything it's like i said still inconclusive because you have only 50 miles on it then if it sounds better with the 1040 oil in it then what i would do is i try to put some more miles on it uh, you said in your letter, and I respect that, say rightfully so, you're afraid to drive it, all right, because you don't want to hurt it, and I agree with that 100%, uh, but the fact is that if it did spin a bearing or something is going on in there, you probably would not want to just slide in a new set of bearings and not look at the crank and look at everything else. So I don't want you to run it till you seize it, all right, but to tell you the truth, from my perspective, as far as in engine guidance, and I'm repeating again, this goes for a farm tractor, goes for a combine, all right, is that if you're start, if it's starting to talk to you, then there's some level of damage. I wouldn't take I wouldn't take it up the red line, but if you drove it some more to see what's going to happen, whatever damage. So if you have to turn the crank. If you have to cut the crank 10 thousandths, you're going to have to cut the crank 10 thousandths when you ride it for 50 miles or 100 miles or 150 miles. I don't want it coming back with a rod through the block, but it's going to talk to you a lot more before that happens. All right? So I would like to know, so to put some some clarity to this, I would do an oil analysis on the, on the 2050 that's in there now. So when you drain it, I would drain it and then put a new filter and then i would also uh go switch to a 1040 with a new filter i would start it up see how it is see if it's quieter if you see any perceptible difference if it's quieter sounds better then do your 50 mile test i wouldn't be i wouldn't be afraid of it all right uh, i would make a 50 mile loop where you could abort it if you let's say you're 10 miles out and then you start well this thing is really still going south i mean let me get this thing home all right then i would do that um and i would also pay attention to if it's not too much trouble i would check the oil pressure again with the 1040 oil in it and i would like to have some data and what it is at idle um what it is in gear and and and, and a higher rpm on your letter here then re, re restating that uh, that the 33 pounds but we need to know a little bit more is the gauge very steady uh what is happening with that so hopefully god willing this was the best case scenario would be you drain the oil you send it to the lab you put 10 30 oil in it uh you use a, a, a name brand filter i don't know what you're using i can get a delco filter most likely for 64 cadillac anymore and then it all goes away it's fine and you have to do nothing all right 
but if you do have to if if it if there is some sort of data then just reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com and we will go from there so now to make this to have a little bit more value for my audience same thing as i'm repeating it grain truck tractor gasoline or diesel whatever and oil analysis is a wonderful wonderful unintrusive way for you to see what's going on but for it to have any validity it has to have some running time on it same thing with a coolant analysis so if you have a diesel and then and and you and you see and you're seeing uh <clears throat> you pull a coolant sample on it and you see a lot of metals in the coolant sample then you know that the liners are starting to cavitate all right so the thing basically is but you can't put coolant in an engine or oil in an engine starter for five minutes and shut it off and if you do have some some material in there forget about it buddy <clears throat> you wasted your 35 dollars on the analysis because that sucker's coming apart all right that particular point it don't make any difference like looking at a tire with a hole in the sidewall forget about it you know you're buying a tire and that's it don't even bother to try to fix it but i don't think that it is the case with this cadillac that i honestly think that the that the new lifters are have a have a different bleed hole in a different spring the orifice may be a different size it's a lot of stuff with the what we call engineering the envelope makes it fit all right uh and uh but other than that we'll see hopefully god willing it's all good so reach out to me uh and if you do reach out to me uh mr walter on and you email me then send me uh the hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com just bypass hemmings and then um send me a picture of cadillac that's a beautiful car all right so 64 fleet well that was first class baby <clears throat> back then there was some rich man probably a, a banker or a doctor or a texas oil man doing that right and that was a nice car okay <clears throat> the next letter we have here is uh from mr pat loud 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 easy loud easy mr pat loud easy from tom's river new jersey all right so uh he writes me a very nice letter here and i do and <clears throat> this one was in response to somebody had written to me about uh i guess it was according to him it's a nova all right, the Nova, older Nova, I don't remember what year it was, uh, that I remember what he was saying is that I guess he restored this car. It was a GM car. And he had problem with the radio reception. And I guess he had, he didn't have good reception. It was very, that the sound, that the volume was very low. And then if he would touch the radio, the antenna, all right, his reception, I believe, got better. So, so uh, Pat, I'll just call you Pat uh he has he she shared a lot more information i had given the person some some things to look at but i made no bones about it you know full disclosure i'm not a radio guy i'm not a stereo guy right i had some exposure to that stuff as a young man all right but but pat had me remember what i forgot all right so i'm going to read you his letter and this is just a uh <clears throat> fyi to everybody out there all right so uh so it says ray the issue with the radio is probably that the antenna trimmer 
was never adjusted to match the radio with the antenna. First, he, meaning the, the person who wrote to me, and like I said, keep in mind that this gentleman, Pat, has the magazine in front of him, so he's reading my response in the magazine, and then he is responding to me. Uh, first, he should make sure that the body of the antenna has a good ground. Then remove the tuning knobs. I believe the Nova, so it was a Nova, radio has metal recessed cups that are used for mounting. There was a small hole in the cup, if I remember correctly, above the tuner shaft. There will be a small screw in a recess in the radio. Sometimes <clears throat> the screw can be by the volume shaft instead, but I'm pretty certain that the one is on the tuner side. This is the antenna trimmer. Next, tune the radio to a weak station around 1400 AM and slowly turn the screw. One way will increase the volume and reception and increase the volume and reception and set it to peak volume. If the volume does not increase slowly, turn it in the opposite direction, but do not turn it too far. Usually less than a turn either way. This should solve his reception problem and increase the volume. Do not do this in the garage with fluorescent lighting. AM is not happy with them. After doing this, he should tap the antenna, and if it crackles or pops, the antenna base is probably missing a good ground or defective. Antenna trimming is almost always a problem with early, early radios. I worked at Chevrolet in the 60s, so I did plenty of them. If he has to replace the antenna base, he must trim the radio to the new antenna assembly. Hope this saves him time and money because most radio shops would never know of this procedure. It is not in the 1968 shop manual. I checked it. It is probably in the Delco radio supplement. Thank you for a great column, Pat Laudisi, Tom's River, New Jersey. Well, Mr. Laudisi, I'm just killing your name. I want to thank you so, so much and uh, you certainly have a wealth of information from working with those old cars at the time and uh, working uh, for Chevrolet. And, you know, vaguely, when I read your letter, it, uh, I said, oh, man, you know, I remember something my father used to talk about. That, oh, you got to trim the antenna. You got to trim the antenna. All right. So, uh, and I forgot all about that. And uh, certainly, I don't think I ever did that in my life other than my dad saying that he did it on his 1936 Lincoln Zephyr V12, because he always, I heard the story a thousand times, and they're precious, precious stories, you know. That's something as an aside, you know, the stories of life, right? You hear some, you hear stories about your family or from your family or your parents when you're a young person, and, you know, you respect them and you honor them and you love hearing them, but you don't realize until, they're until years later and they're gone, uh, what a treasure it was and uh, I my dad was as I said in this audience before I was a change of life baby my parents were about 10 or 12 years older than all of my peers and uh, my dad was a p-51 Mustang fighter pilot at the tail end of World War II and that gave gave me part of my love for flying which I never did fly I uh, wanted to be in the Air Force, but when, and uh, he was in the Army Air Corps because the World War after World War II the Air Force was formed. 
But I still have his uh, Allison aircraft engine manual. I have his uh, fighter jacket. It's all deteriorated, sadly. Leather jacket with sheepskin because they were unheated and unpressurized cabins back then. But anyway, so he had, during the war, he came home and he bought a, from a doctor, it was a second, second owner because of the gas rationing during World War II. It used too much gasoline. And uh, it was a 1930, the doctor bought a 1936 Lincoln Zephyr two-door coupe V12. And the only modification my father did to that after the war, he actually dated my mother in it. They didn't go on their honeymoon in it. They went, They my dad bought a brand new Dodge in 1950. My parents got married in 1952. I was, I'm not that old, all right? They had me later after that, but uh, <clears throat> 1952 and uh my father bought a new 52 Dodge Coronet four-door green, and we had that in the car. I mean, I remember my mother picking me up at elementary school with that car. We, you know, like I said, we were not rich. I don't know how he swung by in a Dodge back then. But anyway, so <clears throat> what? So when my dad had heard the story a million times, I'll share with you, that the Lincoln Zephyr, 1936, had an antenna that ran underneath the car so it ran underneath the car and uh so it was almost like on a fighter plane because they had a long antenna like that on a fighter fighter plane and ran i believe underneath the fuselage and so my father really liked that but anyway so uh it ran and then what would happen is that if you would it would work very well and there was a tube am radio and it worked very well but if you went through a puddle and you splash your puddle, he get, get static so they had lincoln had a retrofit kit that allowed you to put a, a fender mount front fender mount antenna so the only thing that was that and i heard the story a million times and I, respectfully and i love it and i'm telling it to you and uh so the only modification my father did after the war is he put the and he did a nice job he drilled the holes and everything and put the, the factory Lincoln retrofit antenna, fender mount antenna, and disconnected the underneath antenna. And he left it there, but it's probably all rotted away. But anyway, and uh, so he had to trim that radio back then. So, so I see always, oh, you got to trim the radio, got to trim the radio. And so, like I said, other than that, but I want to thank you, Mr. I'm going to call you Mr. Pat. I want to thank you, Mr. Pat, for sharing this with me. And hopefully, God willing, the gentleman who had that Nova will be able to uh, see this. I will try to put this in my next column, Pat. But like I say, the way things are today, it may not go in there for months. All right, so who knows? All right, where's the next letter? All righty. Now, I'm going to get another drink again. Boy, the C-A-T-S have all been good. Everybody's dead to the world. They're just sleeping. But F-A-I-T-H wanted my chair. I said, I need this chair because M-O-L, no, G-I-N-G-E-R. I'm spelling their names because otherwise they'll come there and they'll they'll wake up. So she's on the other chair. All right, so that's, and we have other chairs down here, but not for my office and desk chair. So, all right, so this letter here, well, uh, that's another easy name. Boy, Mr. Chuck Webb and... Uh, well, he must be a real Buick guy because his email address, which I won't give you the whole thing, people who knows and tastes well, is Dinah Dinah One Glide. 
All right, so it's a Dynaglide guy. That was, I believe, a Buick transmission, a Dynaglide. All right, so what he writes to me is, hello, Mr. Ray. So hello, Mr. Chuck, I'll call you, say hello to you. I have a 1971 Buick Skylark 354 barrel all stock. He doesn't say whether it's a two-door or a four-door. In my mind, I'm hoping it's a four-door. I absolutely love the 71 Buick Skylark, especially, the, I love the two doors. Oh, my God. My buddy, Glenn Nadell, who we're still friends with, he had one. His grandmother had bought it new, and uh, it was, she gave it to him when she stopped driving, and it was a 352 barrel of I, I think they call, I was never good with colors, with, with naming, with, you know, paint codes. I know it's like some paint codes, like two of them, all right? I know Chrysler B5 Blue, and uh, but I think it was called Aztec Gold or something like that. It was a my buddy Glenn, a 71 Skylark hardtop, right? So it was meant you rolled down all the windows, all right? There was no pillar with a black vinyl top and black upholstery, Buick rally wheels with white wall tires. What a drop. Oh, I loved that car. And that car was a runner. Turbo three, I mean, for two barrel ran great. But we took that car to California. <laughs> It was wonderful. We we put eleven thousand three hundred miles on that Buick in three weeks. Went out to California with it. Went up into Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, through the Dakotas, like an upside down pot. I say, all right. We raced up, or I was driving at that particular point. Raced a Porsche nine fourteen. It was a nine fourteen two uh, two zero. So it was a two liter one, not a nine fourteen dash six, which was a six on one on the Pacific Coast Highway uh obviously the porsche 914 which was basically a glorified volkswagen handled a thousand times better than the buick but didn't have a lot of snot with that 2.0 so he'd lose me on the curves but then that talk of that buick would pull we'd reel him right in reel him right in on the and we must have must have raced him for 50 60 miles on the pacific coast i was fantastic but i have a special place in my heart for that 71 buick skylock what a wonderful car i mean it was the those i mean gm are unbelievable i mean beautiful body great engine great transmission great everything was just great about those gm cars so anyway so now let me get back to his letter all right so without change so he says he has a 71 buick skylock 350 four barrel uh so it's a quadrajet car without changing the stock pulley how can i increase the idle voltage I have a 55 amp alternator. When I turn on the headlights with the AC, so it's got a working AC, beautiful. The the voltage drops to around 11 volts at idle, 600 RPM. At 1,000 RPM, the voltage increases to 12 and a half to 13 volts. Okay, so that is an old Delcatron alternator. I forgot what series that is. They were excellent, excellent alternators. The following series, if it was a year or two new, would be what they call an SI, Systems Integrated, which meant it had an internal voltage regulator and uh, had the um, the the, um, the rectifier bridge in there, what have you. I don't remember whether you had a rectifier bridge in yours or separate. I used to know all that, but how many years been taken apart? Uh, uh, separate uh separate diodes but anyway this is what i would say to you sir all right what we first need to do 
is that you say it's a 55 amp alternator so you said the car is all stock let me say stock yep not original stock all right the thing is that uh when you're diagnosing something and like i said i'm going to keep repeating this because this is all boilerplate it makes no difference i know that uh Long-time listener Mike Werner, and I did an on-the-road podcast with him. He contacted me the day his son has a John Deere 4440. I kept saying a 4420 in my mind, 4440. He's got some electrical problems, so this is going to be just as uh, th- what I'm going to what I'm going to say to this gentleman is, just, like I say, it makes no difference. It's a boilerplate letters. This one happens to be about a Buick. It was that the first thing you want to do is when you diagnose anything you diagnose an animal you diagnose a crop your combine whatever did it do this how long has it done this and what has changed so in other words so my question to you i'm going to call you because you call me mr ray so i'll call you mr chuck out of respect right instead of mr webb so i'll call you mr webb mr webb what you have to let me know what changed was it always this way where it put out the lower voltage or did something change? Because that's going to be a tell. That's going to be a telltale with anything. So, well, you know, this, con- this, 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 this you know, tractor, oh, never did this before. Now something has changed, all right? So you say, well, I never, I never, you know, I used to, you know, I used to lift lift this up before I never my back never hurt me something changed all right so we have to so what I'm going to do is I'm going to assume that something changed all right because if something did not change then if it's been this way since you've had the car then is it truly a 55 amp alternator is it truly the right pulley on there all right so the thing is that we so we have to see what what changed now that should have an exterior ex, a a uh, external voltage regulator so the proper thing to do and it's going to be it's not going to be impossible but it's going to be difficult today is that what you need to do is you need to put a load test on that alternator uh, with a load tester, what they call a battery slash charging circuit tester. Years ago, the SunVat 40 was that was the cat's meow for that. I mean, that was the that was the top of the line. All right, but something like that. If you cannot do a load test on it, I mean, I don't expect you to have this tool. But you know, today, trying to find somebody who knows how to do this stuff is impossible. Computer says, I right, put on a computer. A computer says, you don't need computer says. You need somebody that knows how to use a piece of instrumentation. All right. If not, then you could probably pull the alternator off, which is not hard on that Buick. All right, and bring it to an older school auto electric shop the starters and alternators and let him bench test it all right and see whether it what it is truly is putting out for amperage and voltage right because now that charging indicator light that's that generator alternator light that's in the, the gm cars back then was very very smart and if that light is not or let me put it this way let me rephrase my sentence if that light is glimmering a little bit then at lower rpm like you said 600 rpm if that light is glimmering a little bit then most likely you have a diode that is starting to fail and passing a small amount of unrectified ac now the telltale the canary in the coal mine for a bad diode 
depending how a diode fails it could go and <clears throat> when you shut the car off all right discharge the battery but if it fails because the diode is an electrical check valve it only allows the current to flow one way so depending upon how it fails or just like you say normally open normally closed all right so if the you know if your toilet tank flapper happens to stick closed then the water doesn't keep running if it sticks open then the water keeps running right so the thing is that if the diode fails one way then you should get a glimmer of the glimmer of the charging circuit light all right and the alternator will still charge but it will traditionally put out a voltage like you have so by taking that load testing that alternator and seeing and, and quantifying you have voltage for what the amperage is we will see what is going on all right now the next thing basically is let's say that the alternator is fine now years ago if you had a good scope man he could put a scope on that alternator pattern which is very very easy to do and you could see without question whether it has an ac ripple all right now if it has an ac ripple with a dip in it then you have a diode that is starting to pass current both ways but today trying to find somebody to do that with a scope is like like diogenes with the lantern from the old mythology looking right walking around looking for the honest man all right so but that but there are there, there ways to do it just that we can't do it anymore today all right so that basically because it will have that same now at a thousand rpm the voltage increases to 12 and a half to 13 volts i'm assuming that's still with the headlights on and with the ac compressor engaged all right is that that still is not good all right so it should that alternator the delco alternator should put out between 14.2 to 14.6 volts usually with an with an external regulator around 14.2 14.1 14.2 with the the si series the later one with the systems integrated the internal regulator <clears throat> they had 14 they put up around 14.6 14.7 in that internal regulator which is just an fyi they had what's called a zener diode not the diode that rectifies the ac they had a zener diode in that voltage regulator and a zener diode <clears throat> has like a safety valve on it it only passes it passes it holds back the current and, uh, and only allows current to pass one way and then at a certain point they call that the avalanche like an avalanche in the mountain the avalanche voltage and it allows so it's like a safety valve on a boiler to blow off the steam so but <clears throat> that is in the system integrated which you don't have so this is what i would say to you so i could put closure to this and make some sense we need to quantify that if we can we could look at the determine whether it has a weak diode if it has a weak diode that's starting to fail bingo you got your answer because your voltages are not that good regardless all right so so it's not i don't think that you need a more powerful alternator you need then if this alternator was truly putting out 55 amps for a 71 buick with breaker points headlights and the air conditioner on you're golden it's fine you got more of enough current draw there i mean more enough current output but i would tend to think that either the the uh has a weak diode in it <clears throat> all right that 
the pulley ratio is not what you think it is if it always did this or it has a problem in the voltage regulation circuit now the problem in the voltage regulation circuit may not necessarily be the voltage regulator it could be all right or it could be a connection going into the voltage regulator is corroded or what have you nine chances out of ten i would say it's probably a weak diode but it could be the voltage regulator all right so that is basically that now to answer your other question is that uh how can you turn this uh how can i increase the voltage well you're going to be able to i mean i'm going to interpret that question two ways all right if as i said this minute ago is that if everything is up to snuff the vault that that alternator is more going to run that buick happily forever after all right if it's not up to snuff that's your problem all right the only way you would be able to increase that voltage all right is by repairing what is what is not correct all right and then if you said if you were doing something else with it then most alternators and don't take this as a rule of thumb but you could you could mickey mouse this get you in the ballpark most alternators spin and i think i did a show last week on the radio show about this but uh or maybe the podcast but uh <clears throat> are usually spun at around their pulley to around three times the crankshaft speed so if the engine is running at a thousand rpm well let's say you said 600 rpm nice idle speed very nice uh is that then that alternator in theory is probably spinning about 1800 rpm so uh it's a, and the way you could determine this down and dirty is you could take you could measure the crank pulley and you want to try to more or less guesstimate if the belt rides recessed and like i said you're not you know we're not doing brain surgery here so you don't have to be that accurate all right so you can measure the crank pulley and then you could measure the alternator pulley and because anything in between is going to be moot all right and uh you measure those two pulleys and you divide them out all right and then you'll get your ratio for your pulley but you want to try as i said to the you want to try it best to use where the belt rides because sometimes you'll have a very high shoulder on a pulley as a guide to keep the belt and you more or less and you'll say oh it's about you know it's like counting drive shaft revolutions all right the, the gear ratio so it's more or less and you'll know whether whether that pull that is pulled correctly all right if a problem just turned up and the car has been beautiful for all these years and i don't even bother to check the pulley ratio if you don't want to because uh, it's not going to make any difference because that's why it's so important as i said to determine is this a new problem all right did or did it always do this and what happens lots of times is people buy an old piece of farm an older a pre-owned used piece of farm equipment it could be six years old it could be three years old two years old right the thing basically is they don't know the history on it all right so and if they say no i bought this thing and it's uh, two years old and for the first six months it did it never did this and now it's doing it well that's valid all right so that is basically it. i would probably guess that it has a bad diode or a weak diode in it 
Right. And keep in mind with those systems that the charging circuit light was part of, well, on the SI series, it was alternator, that that fed the field circuit. So if that bulb did not work in the dashboard on the SI series, I don't know about the, the divorce regulator, I don't remember anymore from Mr. Hip's class, is that 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 if you on a if that was a 73 buick with a si alternator on it and the light bulb burned out all right uh in the dashboard the charging light that you would not that alternator would not work all right so a lot of people changed alternators on cars years ago and gm cars and the bulb was burned out all right so keep keep that in mind but that's what we need to do we need to confirm the output in amperage all right we need to check the diode pattern and then if the alternator checks out with the diode pattern and the amperage and then i would say your voltage regulator circuit is probably has an issue with it uh and then uh you need to, to probably probably is the regulator or the points are corroded or something in there and you could take the cover off and take disconnect the battery and take the cover off and look look inside there but i would probably say most likely it's got a weak diode and you may not be seeing the glimmering of that charge circuit light so you may want to start the car at night and with all in the dark and see if it's glimmering if they're just glimmering on not bright just glimmering a little bit then that's usually a bad diode so you feel free to reach out to me also bypass hemmings that hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com and i think i believe sir that i did answer your letter in hemmings muscle machines but i may not have gone to that length i know i didn't go to the length they did because of the word and character count so um so that is it but this is the real monty the full monty here with my response all right gentlemen i an audience i want to thank you so much for listening and for putting up with me and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america and my new thing is remember be kind to all animals because they have the same creator so we have a blessed day and i'll catch you next week thank you bye-bye